Hey guys, I'm Vanessa. And I'm Laura. And welcome to another episode of A Tap on the Wrist. We had a little break. We did. We took, we did 25 episodes. Yep. And then we took a week off. Yep. And I know. It actually, coincidentally, I mean, we took it off really because we were both sick and recovering. Um, but it, I, I was like, oh, at least it's 25, so it's like a nice round number that we're taking a break after. I don't know. This has been quite a winter when it comes to illnesses. It has. It really has. Uh, I'm sure everyone out there is probably working from home right now while they're listening to this. Yes. Uh, I was just going to say, we are recording this via social distancing. We normally sit right next to each other, and we're sitting across from each other. I just realized I was leaning in, and I was like, oh, I guess I should pull back. Uh, so, yeah, coronavirus has taken over the country. Yeah. I actually, to be clear, I'm not sure I didn't have it. Uh, to be clear, that's why I refused to record with you last <laughs> week, because I'm pretty sure you had it. <laughs> um, I definitely, I went to City MD and I got tested for the flu and for strep, and I didn't have it. And they were like, well, you definitely have a virus. Could be corona. We can't test you, though, because you haven't left the country and there's a shortage of tests. And I was like, cool. So they were like, good luck. <laughs> like, just go home. So she was isolating herself. And that's why we didn't release an episode last week. Because yeah. I was not going to record with her. Yeah. Um, and it was funny because they were like, well, do you live with anyone? And I was like, no, I live by myself, but my, my mom is here. And they were like, okay, well, we're not really that worried about you. Kind of worried about your mom. Anyway, have fun. <laughs> like, they just sent me back home because they... There was a shortage, and they just couldn't test me. Well, I'm glad but we could laugh about that. I know. I mean, it just... I'm laughing about it because it's so ridiculous mm-hmm. that, like... It is. Like, I couldn't be tested specifically just because I hadn't left the country. Like, to me... Like, we live in New York City. I took the subway to work every day. Like, just because I hadn't left the country didn't mean the guy sitting next to me who didn't cover his mouth while he was coughing didn't, you know? It's just... I have to laugh because it's so insane. So anyways, Vanessa may have just recovered from coronavirus. I'm okay now. She was sick for a long time. Yeah, I was, but I'm okay now. Still keeping my distance from Laura, though. Yes. Sorry for our rant session, guys. I feel feel like a lot of you feel the same way, though. Yeah, it's been a very weird week. I don't even know. I'm I'm really excited to tell the story we're going to tell, but I'm also like, there's so much happening in this world that is crazy. Yeah. I... I I don't even know. I'm hoping that these stories can at least distract you guys for a little while. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, the 25 episodes that we recorded before this, you should go back and listen to those over again if you've already heard them. Right. (laughs) So if you're working from home or you're self-isolating or you're social distancing or whatever the reason, you should follow us on social media because Uh we're going to be posting pictures from not only this episode, but if we find ourselves with extra time... Maybe we'll post some extra posts. Yeah. Um, and you can follow us at a tap on the wrist on Instagram and, and Twitter. And if you have any suggestions for future episodes, go ahead and send us an email at tap on the wrist podcast at gmail.com. Or send us a picture of your home office now that we're all in self isolation. Yes, I do wonder how people are choosing to like work from home. Yeah. Because I've read a lot of really interesting things. Like people have their methods, you know, they get up and they take a shower and they get dressed mm-hmm. and cook breakfast as if they were going to work, and then they sit and work. And then there's other people who are like, I rolled out of bed and I didn't change out of pajamas for four days. That's more my style. <laughs> <laughs> I 
one of my coworkers through Slack was like, I decided I'm going to put jeans on today. And then a couple of hours later, she was like, jeans were a bad idea. <laughs> like, it's, it's funny. We actually also have a Slack channel at work where people are sending pictures of their home offices. So it is kind of interesting to see, like, just what people are doing. Well, because I'm sure some people set up at a desk and make it, like, a real work environment. Yeah. And other people are on their bed or their uh-huh. couch. It's, it's funny because, like I said, I am the type of person who just wants to be in my pajamas for four days straight. But my boss has discovered video chat and will like to video call me and my coworkers. And so now I'm like, oh, God, I have to do, my hair can't be completely greasy. Like, I need to wash it. Maybe put some dry shampoo in. Like, Just wear a hat. Yeah. <laughs> Throw in a hat. Um, you know, probably wear a bra. <laughs> you know, simple things like that. And I'm like, no. Just a baggy sweatshirt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so you should share those pictures with us of yes. uh, your, your solving your working from home issues. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this week we are talking about the internet. Or the interwebs, as I like or to say. Or the interwebs. So our stories... You can figure out who named this episode. <laughs> <laughs> our stories all have to do with alcohol and the internet. Yeah. And they're good ones. They are pretty good. I was a little worried when we picked this topic. I was like, am I going to find something interesting enough? Or am I just going to find, like, someone selling alcohol on the internet, you know? But I think we, we did a good job. We did. Anyway, enjoy, guys. Yes. My story today is about an internet fad, a bad one, that seemed to hit its height around 2014. Oh. And it ended up being linked to at least five deaths in the UK and Ireland. That does not sound like a good fad. Nope. So, I don't know if you've heard of it. It kind of came to the U.S., but it was definitely more popular in, like, the U.K. and Ireland. It's called Necknominate. Definitely have not heard of no. it. It's also known as Necknominate or Necknomination. It's kind of one of the, It was kind of a precursor to those challenges that I'm sure you've seen, like the Ice Bucket Challenge where you do something and then you nominate somebody else or a couple of other people to do it after you. Okay. And it's believed to have originated in Australia and then started to spread through other countries, like I said, the UK and even the US. So the game itself seems to have started like pretty innocuously. A person would drink a pint of what was usually beer or at least something alcoholic and they'd do it, like, in one gulp, which is, like... <laughs> that alone is a something worth videoing. <laughs> yeah, and it's, like, necking is British slam for, like, sl- slam. Slang for, like, you taking know, like, the whole, whole, yeah, pint. So they would film themselves doing this, post it on social media, usually Facebook, Facebook or YouTube, and challenge their friends to do the same within 24 hours. So, again, very similar to the more popular challenges that came afterwards. And while not the best use of one's time, I feel like chugging a pint of beer itself isn't super dangerous. But as the challenge went on, it it started to take on a much more dangerous turn. And people started trying to, like, pull crazy stunts or, like, drink more like hazardous drinks than just like a pint of beer oh that's not good yeah because like a pint of beer is one thing but like a pint of vodka oh yeah i'll get there okay (laughs) (laughs) 
So people who didn't do the challenge once they were nominated were usually like heckled and ridiculed online. So it kind of turned into like, well, I have to do it or I'm going to be bullied, which is not great. I feel like I don't pay attention to those challenges. Like when people nominate me for like post a picture of, you know, your... Right. But usually now they're like challenges for good, right? Right. Like douse yourself in ice water to like sit you know yeah but in this case it was like oh you're not gonna drink the pint of beet you know like yeah. it's much more peer pressure than than that I feel like so I'm going to kind of be delving a bit more into neck nominee but also telling some of the stories of like people's who whose lives were taken so despite the fact that it's believed to have started in Australia a lot of people attribute the craze to going viral because of a London Irish rugby player named Ross Sampson. On Christmas of 2013, he posted a video of himself downing a bottle of beer and saying, I nominate all of you whose birthday it's not. Merry Christmas. So according to my favorite source, Wikipedia, (laughs) there was a mention of neck nominee on Twitter in 2011, which was two years prior, but up until Sampson's video there were only 198 mentions on Twitter. And after his post, it was mentioned 1,048 times within two weeks. Okay. So, like, he really made it go viral. He is will later distance himself from the neck nominate, and I'll get to that a little later. So, here are some examples of neck nominations that were not fatal that were compiled into a Cosmopolitan article that I read. Just want to share with you some of the shit people started doing. Okay. Went from just drinking the pint of beer to some things that were kind of silly, like a girl going to a supermarket, stripping down to her lingerie, and then chugging down a drink in front of, like, consumers. Like, you know. Yeah. Just taking it a little bit further. Right. And then others were just really disgusting. I'm going to start off a little slower. So, one man swallowed a goldfish in his in his drink. He later claims he spat it out. Gross. But another man did swallow a goldfish mixed with cider, raw eggs, engine oil, and his own urine. Well, but, like, why? For what reason? Yeah. So, a pint of urine... And engine oil and a fish. I mean, not that I want to drink urine, but urine is sterile. Yes. But, but like, like, the engine oil could kill you. Yeah, and a fish, it's a living it's a living animal. There was just recently an episode on Grey's Anatomy where the person ate a fish. Like, they were on a bachelor party uh-huh. and, like, did it as a joke and then, like, had to go to the hospital and have a fish removed. So you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't eat live fish or live anything really right <laughs> i was trying to think if there's an exception to that answer but no don't worry it gets a little worse so one mention that cosmopolitan had from the daily telegraph quote one northern irish man was filmed slicing the head off a bird swallowing a live goldfish in a pint of gin and jumping off a cliff into the sea He has since said he regretted the three-minute clip. I'm so confused how those three things go together. I don't know. Like, it's just about, like, (laughs) 
being more and more over the top. But right. Like, okay. So is the slicing idea... Slicing the head off a bird. Is the purpose of this so you do these three absurd things and then right. you nominate me, I'm supposed to top yeah. your absurdity? Right. So like I said, it started as just like... Drink a pint of beer. Drink a pint of beer, but then it like went into this crazy thing where everyone felt like they had to top the last person. Yeah. I mean, I kind of remember it being the same with the ice bucket challenge though. Yeah. Like... You know, it started with just the ice bucket of water, and then it would be like, oh, full sports teams, and then, you know, celebrities getting their celebrity friends to do it, and then you had people, like, doing it off of roofs and ladders. Yeah. So, I guess that idea of just, like, oh, well, I'm going to take it one step further. It kind of always exists, I feel like. Yeah. But that's, it it gets dangerous. Yeah. I would think drinking a pint of gin... Is very alone dangerous. is dangerous yeah. and then jumping off a cliff yeah he's lucky he lived i know he he is because i feel like there's a sim- there's a similar story not with the bird and stuff but you'll see so another story that was not fatal was in the plymouth herald in the uk and it says one young man drank a pint of vodka and a pint of mouthwash before eating a raw egg and snorting a line of protein shake powder Needs, I don't. I don't understand. New life choices, my friend. Uh, like again, how did he not die? It's a pint of vodka and a pint of mouthwash. Like, how did he survive? I don't know how you don't just throw up. I mean, he must have, like, in order to get that out of his system, he must have thrown up enough that he. Got Who it wants to drink? I don't want to drink. Like, if I'm doing like mouthwash, like just a rinse, yeah. and I swallow some, I'm like gross. Right. A pint of mouthwash? I know. Mm. Disgusting. Next. (laughs) So, the next ones are the really terrifying ones because they led to the death of five young people who didn't need to die. Right. So, the first of two victims in England... Sorry, one of the first two victims in England was Isaac Richardson, who was 20 years old. He died when he said he was going to, quote, outdo others, and he mixed a bottle of white wine with vodka, a quarter bottle of whiskey, and a can of beer. He was reportedly unable to upload the video to Facebook because he got so sick and later died. Oh my goodness. Terrible. The second was a man named Stephen Brooks from Wales, originally, who was 29, and he died from gulping down a pint of vodka so again like i don't know how some of these other people who gulped down a pint of vodka survived i guess it depends on your body yeah i guess it depends on like how much you drink so the third british victim or victim in england was a kid named bradley ames who was 20 and from nottingham he filmed himself drinking nearly two pints of gin his body was found in his home four days after filming the stunt which is super tragic. That is awful. Yeah. So the two, two pints of gin. Yeah. And he wasn't found until four days later. Oh. No. Awful. Two of the other deaths were in Ireland. Ross Cummins, who was 22. He died in the hospital after being found unconscious in his home in Dublin. And the last one is the one that kind of reminds me of that guy that jumped off the cliff. So Jonathan Bryn or Byrne 
who was only 19 years old, during his neck, nomina- neck nomination, after drinking his pint, he jumped into a river, and that's how he died. Um, it's terrible. And his, I actually watched a clip of his father on RTE's Late Late Show, which was super sad, and he said, quote, I want to get a message out to all the young people that this is not a game. I mean, people could lose their lives, and more people could lose their lives if they don't say no to this game. And I'm asking their parents to talk to them and find out if they're involved in this neck nominations or if they know if their friends are involved in it because they have to stand up and say no. And the more says no, the easier it'll be to stop it. Which is like so sad. I know. It is really sad. It was really hard to watch, but, you know, important that he kind of stood up and told his story. Yeah. I was going to say, it reminds me of I mean, but there's so many trends and fads that yeah. pass. And I feel like the the more we get, like, addicted to our phones and social media, I see it in my students all the time. Yeah. And they are, and, like, with TikTok and uh-huh. they're just doing stupid stuff. Um, I feel like the stupidest thing I've seen my students really do is when they did the the, like, Kim Kardashian lip challenge a couple years oh, ago. Oh, I kind of remember that. It was a year and yeah. a half ago. And you would basically take, like, a plastic cup and uh-huh. put it around your mouth and, like, suction yeah. it. To, like, and, swell your lips up. Yeah, and it would cut, like, the blood circulation yeah. off your lip. And then, like, it would, they would swell up. Yeah. But it was, like, leaving girls with, like, these giant red rings more than just swelling up their lips. Right. And, like, you could tell the girls that had done it because they'd come to school and, like, it would take a couple days to go away. And you were like, don't do stuff the internet tells you to do. I know. I wish people wouldn't. It's like, and then I feel like there is that bullying aspect, right? Like, yeah, sure, people are, not even all people our age, but, like, you and I are going to be like, all right, shut up, don't care. But there are people who are like, well, I don't want my friends to say that I'm weak or that. You right. Know. Or there isn't even, like, the top nine at the end of the year or the Spotify list. Yeah. And, like, everyone posts them and you kind of feel like, well, I kind of have to. Everyone else is doing it. Right. Which I'm guilty of doing. I know nine. I am, too. So, I also wanted to share a quote from Roseanne O'Connor, who is the director of Alcohol and Drugs at Public Health England, which I got from abcnews.com. She wrote, she said, We are concerned by reports of the increasing popularity of the Drinking Dare neck nomination. The game's encouragement of participants to outdo each other with ever more reckless stunts brings with it significant risk of alcohol-related harm, including acute intoxication, accidents, and injury. There is also the potential for cyberbullying of those who are seen to, quote, chicken out. It has already cost lives and we would advise anyone against taking part in the game to avoid putting themselves in a potentially dangerous situation. So kind of what we were saying about, like, that peer pressure of, you know, people started to realize that, like, that's what was kind of propelling this forward was wanting to impress your friends and not be called out. So sad. Definitely. And as I mentioned earlier, Ross Sampson, who was credited with making that nomination so popular wanted to become dissociated with it after the deaths, unsurprisingly. Right. He told the Irish Sunday Mirror, quote, It has gone too far. This was not how it was supposed to go. 
The game started last year, but I happened to do one at Christmas that got a lot of attention on my Facebook. It just snowballed. Which, like, okay, yes. To be fair, he did the beer challenge, and then it kind of went crazy from there. But, of course, afterwards he was like, please don't associate me with this. Um, I did want to end on a little bit more of a positive note. So, according to Wiki, <laughs> later in February of 2014, a group of South Africans decided to adapt Neck Nominate, and they changed it into a challenge to perform random acts of kindness to other people. So, like, you do a random act of kindness for someone, you nominate someone else to do it, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and eventually other similar challenges started from here, including the ice bucket challenge that we talked about for Lou Gehrig's disease. So I just found it interesting that like the source of all these challenges that like I now am familiar with came from this neck nomination, which was this drinking game that just got like so out of hand. Right. And it was a little bit of a shorter one, but I just felt like it was interesting to kind of track that history and just like to kind of talk about the fact that you shouldn't you shouldn't feel like you said you're like your students and younger people shouldn't feel the pressure to do what you're shown on the internet well especially when it comes to anything that has to do with like drinking or drugs or like bodily harm like having that pressure to feel that you have to do it right. i mean even if, even if something as small as like if we go out with a group of friends and someone yells shots. Yeah. And then it's like, everyone's taking a shot. Yeah. Well, maybe not everyone wants to take a shot. And like, right. I've definitely been guilty of being like, what do you mean you're not taking a shot? Yeah. And kind of guilting someone. And I've definitely been guilty of like doing a shot even though I didn't want to just because I was like, oh, everyone else is. Like, but like a shot is one or two ounces. Like right. these are pints and it's so dangerous. But... I hope that there is kind of that trend switches to where people won't feel that pressure. I hope so. But I don't think that's the case. I think it's going to get worse. I know. So my sources for this besides lovely Wikipedia. The people source. The people source. Were the Cosmopolitan article that I had mentioned. It was called Viral Drinking Game Now Linked to Five Deaths to Arrest by Alex Reese. And in case you're wondering what the two arrests were. Yeah, I was. I was like, what? <laughs> it, it didn't seem worth mentioning, but then when I, when I looked at the name <laughs> of the article, I was like, oh, people are going to want to know. It was uh, two Canadian teens who faced charges for violating underage drinking laws. Oh. Yeah. Although I did see, and I couldn't find that this actually ended up happening, but I did see that law enforcement at one point were looking to see whether, like, the people who had nominated the people who died could be... Oh. responsible but then I couldn't find anything else about it so I that would be really that, terrible yeah I don't think that went anywhere right then I also used an article called neck nomination deadly drinking game takes off on the internet by Susan Donaldson Donaldson James from abcnews.com and lastly an article called rugby player behind internet neck nominate drinking craze says it has gone too far after three deaths are linked to the game from the, Daily Mail. Headline. <laughs> from the Daily Mail by Rob Cooper. And that's all I have on Neck Nominate. Which that's is, interesting. Yeah. I'm glad it's kind of not a thing anymore. Me too. And it, it doesn't seem to have 
it did come to the U.S., but I don't think it got as huge as it did abroad. That's it. Okay, so for my story, we are going to Ontario, Canada. Oh, A. A. Uh, Okay. On the evening of January 18th, 2003, a 911 operator receives a frantic call in Ontario, Canada. Um, On the phone is a young girl, and she tells the 911 operator that her mother is lying in the bathtub, unresponsive, or she says not moving, Uh um, and is underwater. So the 911 operator is asking her questions. It's two girls on the phone, one on the phone and then her sister. Um, and the 911 operator says they need to try and get their mother out of the tub and start CPR. And she's sending, you know, authorities and help. Uh-huh. But the girls are kind of in a state of shock. They don't really know what to do. They're afraid to touch their mom. And so the 911 operator continues to try and calm them down, to try and get them to follow her directions until help can get there, and tells her they need to start CPR. But the girls are just, like, too afraid to move her, too afraid to, like, get her out of the tub. Um, And by the time police arrive on the scene, their mother is declared dead. So the woman... Her name is Linda Anderson. She's a single mother of two. She's in her mid-40s, but kind of struggling to make ends meet at the time. The girl's father had walked out and left her alone. Um, So she's working two to three jobs. She's doing the best that she can for her kids. You know, giving them food and water and a place to live, but not a whole lot else because times are tough. Yeah. Um... I feel like I, this story sounds like very slightly familiar. Okay. But like, I don't remember what happened, but something about the mom in the tub and two, her two children sounds familiar. Well, I'm sure it's not the only story that starts this way. (laughs) And so due to all of this stress, Linda had developed lots of depression and she was known to kind of self-medicate in the evenings when she was home or on a, a random day off with alcohol so her saturday tradition because saturday was typically her day off uh, was to wake up to drink a few vodkas and then take a few a a few okay and then take a relaxing bath and so after the police find her and they investigate they find that this is her death is actually an accident a drowning accident due to the alcohol and then they find a mixture of drugs as well in her system and so apparently she has taken her saturday tradition like a little bit too far yeah um so they do find high levels of alcohol in her system and also drugs including codeine and acetaminophen okay okay so the the two daughters i feel like it's not gonna be that (laughs) (laughs) what so the two daughters are Beth and Sarah. They're 15 and 16 years old. And they are now facing, like, these last two years of childhood parentless. Like, their dad is... Not only did he leave them... I forget where he moved, but he, like, left the country and wanted nothing to do with them. Okay. Uh, and now their mother is dead. It's terrible of him. Right. 
According to their school records, they're incredibly gifted academically. They could each speak five languages and they had these life goals to travel and see the world. And due to Linda's life insurance policy, each girl receives approximately $70,000 when she dies. So, damn. That's a good amount of money in 2003 if yeah. you're 15 and 16. Oh yeah, if you're that young, that <laughs> seems like like you've hit the jackpot. Yeah. So the girls do move in with family. Um, they have an aunt nearby and they move on with their lives. They uh, continue with their academic success and with plans to graduate and go to college. And their plan almost works. However, a year after their mother is found dead uh, in the bathtub, the girls are at a party where they drunkenly admit to a boy that they're talking to that they got away with murdering their mother. Dun, dun, dun. I know. Uh, I actually almost wrote... I was waiting for that. I <laughs> almost wrote that in the script. And then Did I you? Made, yes. Okay, so he hears this story and he decides to go to the police and tell them what they've confessed. Right. And the police set up a sting operation and they get one of the sister's friends to wear a wire uh-huh. and they put her in a car with one of the sisters and just have her like start asking questions and getting the sister to talk about uh, the murder. And she does because at this point it's been a year since the murder and they're very confident they've gotten away with it uh-huh. and a little bit kind of like no, brag- braggadocious, yeah. right? Like they want to talk about it. They're gloating. Yeah. They're like we got we got away with murder. Right. Which stupid. Yes. So let's go back now to the day of the murder. It's Saturday, uh, January 18th, 2003. And like I said, most of what I said is very true, except the their mom, Linda, while participating in her regular Saturday tradition of drinking a few vodkas and taking a bath, the girls are kind of assisting her. They are getting the vodka for her and giving her the vodka but they're also giving her codeine okay. and acetaminophen. Um, and they do this because they've done extensive research on the internet on how to murder someone and not get caught. I wondering how the interwebs was going to come in. It's here. It's here. We're here. So on this extensive research on the internet, they've discovered that painkillers mixed with alcohol would cause their mother's heart to slow down and for her to become kind of lethargic, which was their goal. So that's what they do. They give her her vodka with a little bit of codeine and then the next vodka and some other acetaminophen. Um, And while they're waiting for the drugs and the vodka to kick in, um, the internet comes into play again. They, in 2003, you know, chat rooms are pretty popular at the time. Um, And so they are online on their computer with their friends in a chat room and openly discussing the murder plot with their friends in an online chat room of like, well, we've already started it and like their plan for the rest of the day. And then also describing like 
they had almost no empathy. There was no feeling of like sadness or remorse. They kept describing that they, they felt like they were about to go on vacation and be free, um, is how they felt about killing their mother. And the conversation, once it is found by the police, uh, one of their friends ends the conversation with good luck, wear gloves. Oh my God. So, I mean, I'm sure you're going to get into this, but I'm assuming they have a motive of some sort. They do. Okay. We get there. So once Linda is pretty significantly impaired, um, the sisters draw her a bath. They help her get from the living room into the bathroom and into the tub. And after a few minutes, the older sister says that she wants to give her a back massage. Uh, so Linda turns over onto her stomach in the bathtub. And again, based on all of their internet research, the sisters knew that it took approximately two to six minutes for someone to drown underwater. So with their mother kind of lethargic, the older sister holds her head underwater for exactly four minutes. When in being investigated by police, she notes that it was less struggling than she thought it would be, and it was much easier than they had planned. Jeez. Yeah. So after they've killed their mother, they leave her in the bathtub, they leave their house, they go to a local diner with their friends to establish an alibi, and then they return home hours later to make the 911 call. The so they, they murdered their mom... Then they just went out for a friendly meal. Yeah. Came back. Okay. Um, the detective said that when you listen to the 911 call, he called it an Oscar-worthy performance. Wow. Um, and because of the girl's performance and because of Linda's history of alcohol abuse, the police easily believed that it was an accidental drowning Um there was never any doubt that she drowned in the bathtub, but they just didn't think she had been drowned. That they right. thought she had maybe slipped and fallen and right. ended I mean, up underwater. Actually kind of clever. I mean, fucked up and like yeah. the two teenage girls thought of this, but wow. Yeah. So to their motive, why did they do it? The sisters were very concerned that they weren't going to be able to live up to their potential because their mom was not living up to like her potential. So they knew they had bright futures and they believed that they deserved more than what their mom was able to give them based on her being a single mom and like struggling to meet ends meet. And they just wanted more from life. So they thought by killing her, they could take their inheritance and be more successful in life. Is uh, that really it? Yeah. I so, assumed that it was something like she was abusive or she was nope. like trying to like ruin so, Oh my God. Another reason. So because she was an alcoholic and she did spend a lot of her extra money on alcohol, um, it annoyed the sisters because most of their friends had nicer clothes and pools at their house and went on family vacations and they didn't get to live that lifestyle and were very jealous of that. 
And so they wanted her life insurance money. So for so months... They just found her, like, a nuisance that was... Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. Uh, for months, they researched online different methods of murder. Um, and within their friend group, they had talked about it at length. This plan to murder their mother. They almost, like, bragged about it. They had many friends turned them in. They had many friends who knew the plan, who supported the plan, and no one went to the police or to their parents. Wow. Uh, With their inheritance money, their plan was to, one, buy a marijuana farm, live on it, and grow marijuana. What? And then, two, they were going to take all of the friends that had kept their secret on a very nice... European vacation. That was their big life plan. That was their life plan. That she was holding them back from. Yeah. Marijuana farm and European vacation. Oh my god. So, once the police investigate and find out that this is a murder instead of an accident, um, and then this is when they obviously start to collect evidence, right? And they are going to prosecute the girls. On the girls' computer, they find over 14,000 searches for drowning. Oh, my God. Two to 300 hits for coding in research. Over 100 researches on bathtub deaths. And many, many, many chat room messages between friends and strangers discussing the plan. So, one chat room exchange between one of the sisters uh, and their boyfriend. It goes like this. The boyfriend writes, your mom gets Tylenol 3s, right? Which is a kind of Tylenol in Canada. And the sister replies, probably. And he writes, seriously, you should include them in on the game plan. Um, So, like, not only was it them, their friends not only kept the secret, but often encouraged them and gave them ideas to, like, perfect the plan. What the fuck? I know. He also, the boyfriend also was very much involved in coming up with the alibi diner after the murder and suggested ways that they could mislead the police, suggesting that they buy movie tickets for an hour before the murder to help create a paper trail. Um, Wow. And he, in one of his chats, said, I'm involved this much. I'm willing to help you out with any of it. These are teenagers. Teenagers, 15 and 16 years old. So the police do prosecute. prosecute. Um, Both sisters are found guilty of first-degree murder. Uh, However, due to their age, they only receive a youth sentence. And in Canada, that means they can only get 10 years in prison. However, after parole, the sisters only serve four years in prison. Um, For killing their mother for basically no reason. Yes. Uh, The older sister is released to a halfway house in 2009. And the younger sister is released a year later. At this point, once the girls have been prosecuted, the father decides, "Hmm, maybe I should get involved. Like, my girls are going to jail. Uh, He does... When the older sister gets released from prison... The father tries to get the younger sister released as well 
and have her serve the rest of her sentence under house arrest. But um, that doesn't happen. They serve, they serve their four years in prison. But after they're released, so they're 15 and 16, the trial happens, then they serve four years. They're both in their young 20s when they're released. Right. Um, they attend college. Today they both are in their 30s. They live in Canada. The older sister is a lawyer. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, and in my research, I found that they did remain under watch of the justice system for a few years, kind of like parole. And they had court-ordered restrictions on their activities, including the banning of, of alcohol and drugs. And also they were not allowed to date. However, one of them is now married, so I don't know if that expired at some point. Right. There is quite a lot that is unknown because, and this is where I have to admit, that all of the names I used, more towards the beginning is when I used the names, are all pseudonyms because the names of neither the victim or the girls has ever been released due to Canadian law. It states that their identities have never and can never be released to the public because they were minors. We could know them. We could know them. You could know. Anyone could know them. Um, And so the daughters and the mother have not been identified. And in the media, in most cases, if you want to search this, they're called the bathtub girls. Huh. Yes. Um, So how how do we know what happened to them? Because there are people... Like, there are articles that state, like, bathtub girl's sister goes to law school and graduates. So, like, someone must know who they are. Yeah. But they're not allowed to state their name well, in I'm any media. Well, I'm sure people in their lives right. know what happened. Right. But, like, the media is not allowed to release their names. So, in all articles, they're referred to as, like, the bathtub girls. They just... Wanted to live normal lives. Very normal lives. Um, the boyfriend that I mentioned earlier did serve 18 months in prison as, like, okay. a conspirator. Right. But, like, none of their other friends were convicted or charged or served any time. But he was, like, their main conspirator. That's so crazy. Yes. And there's actually a movie based on this story. So, in 2014, the movie Perfect Sisters came out it starred mira sorvino as the mother and abigail breslin as the older sister that's i think that's why it sounds familiar to me have you seen that movie i think i have i have not seen it but it is in in the articles that i read they state that the movie took a lot of liberty with the story of course as it does but um it's just it's just a crazy story. It is. And that, like, they got all of this help from the internet, which is terrifying. The internet's you... scary. Yeah. Scary things happen. The internet is... It's terrifying. Um, okay, so I used two main sources. Wikipedia. Uh, no. I mean, <laughs> like, I always peruse Wikipedia and see if there's anything worth... I just live for the times where you mention it. I know. I mean, I, I, I do read the Wikipedia page, but 
I don't usually use it as like a source source, but I did read an article from the star It was written by Wendy Gillis in April of 2014. And it says bathtub girls are all but free rehab success or legal failure. And that article is really interesting because it talks all about, you know, Canada's legal policy of when minors are convicted and not ruining their lives by putting them in jail forever. Yeah. Like, can you be rehabilitated and come out and go on to lead successful lives or not? Interesting. So that was interesting. And then my biggest source was an episode of Deadly Women. Nice. Called Teen Killers. And it was season four, episode 16. Um, I watched the whole episode, even though they like highlight three crimes. Um, And it was... That's where I got most of like that's where I watched it and got the timeline and kind of yeah. rebuilt the timeline. I bet you have probably seen that episode too. I've seen a lot of Deadly Women episodes. It's really good. Well, it's really interesting because in the this episode, the sisters are really terrifying looking. Really, and they they're very like um, goth, like their yeah. dress is goth and their hair's real dark, and they keep like they stare into the camera all menacingly. Uh-huh. But like some of the other articles that I read and stuff, like there was no mention of them being in like that type of circle that might have like, yeah, I don't know. Interesting. I really like the, uh, I don't know if she's the host of deadly women. Like the woman that's always on there with like the really blue eyes. Yeah. I think she's really, she's really good. She's has a lot. I don't know what her career was, but she knows a lot about deadly women. Yeah, she does. So, I mean, it was, pretty interesting yeah for sure i just i find it's crazy to me that they just went on to live normal lives and one of them became a lawyer i wonder what kind of lawyer i know like are they a criminal lawyer probably (laughs) it's just crazy that you can go to jail for murdering your mom and then come out four years later and be like no she's rehabilitated she doesn't have those thoughts anymore i know i'm not saying rehabilitation is not possible yeah. in some cases and like i was saying earlier i feel like had their mom been like abusive or something like you could almost be like okay maybe they could be rehabilitated because they were like pushed to the brink right like gypsy rose right but that wasn't the case here i know so crazy interesting though um so those are the bathtub girls May they never be my lawyer. (laughs) All right. Well, here we are, ready to talk about the bar of the week. It's that time. Um, I haven't been to a bar in a while since I've been sick with possibly the coronavirus. (laughs) Corona time. (laughs) So I'm going to talk about a bar that I went to in Disney, which was like three weeks back now. Maybe I got Corona in Disney, actually, honestly, or a virus, whatever virus I have. Oh, so just everyone you were on the plane with back to New York is infected. (laughs) I wasn't coughing. Yet. Yet. Um, Okay, so the place that I'm going to talk about specifically is La Cava del Tequila, and it is in the Mexican Pavilion at Epcot, and it was really cool. We we were actually purposely trying to find it because a coworker of mine had sent me a list of places to go in Epcot and this place she specifically listed had avocado margaritas and as millennials we were very intrigued. 
because, you know, we love avocado. <laughs> and It's not your millennial. It's your, <laughs> it's your basic white girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so we were trying to find it. And we kept walking through the Mexico Pavilion, and we couldn't. And then we finally realized that this giant, like, pyramid, you could go inside. We thought it was just, like, decoration. Um, and then we realized that you can actually walk inside of it. And we were like, oh, maybe it's in there. It was. It was really cool. The inside was, like, Coco-themed, the Disney movie. There was, like, a thing where you could see the dead version of yourself, which is, like, a little morbid. But, you know, like, the skeleton Day of the Dead version of yourself. I guess it's not morbid. They celebrate the dead, right? Yeah. And... It, it was just like, it didn't even feel like we were in Disney anymore. I think a lot of people didn't realize that you could go inside of it because it was like very quiet. There weren't a ton of people inside. It was really beautifully decorated and like bright and colorful. And we like, we were just shocked. We were like, this is so different from the craziness that's right outside of this place that is Disney. And that's where the bar was. And so we went inside the bar and we got two of us got the avocado margarita one of us got a blood orange margarita and we were like okay oh, we take them to go and we could so we sat like in the actual like pavilion inside instead of inside the bar just looking at all the colors and all they were like vendors and it was just really cute anyway the avocado margarita was fucking delicious it was phenomenal was it like creamy a little bit but it was like a, it was a frozen margarita so it was like blended okay. Um, and it was funny because our, the friend that got the blood orange one was like, I don't know about avocado. I think I'm just going to go like more traditional. And then she tried one of our avocado ones and was like, oh, this is way better. I should have gone with this one. I would definitely be intrigued to try it. Yeah. I don't, I don't even really know how to describe the flavor. It didn't taste like I was eating an avocado. (laughs) It was sweet and delicious and highly recommend if you find a place that makes it as good as this place at Disney or if you go there, you yeah. should go. And uh, the blood orange one was good too. It's just that the avocado one far outshined it. Yeah. Did you drink anywhere else at Epcot? I did. Uh, I also drank... I forget what it was called. It was like a... It was like a tea alcoholic drink. It was very sweet. So I'm not going to say the name of the place because mm-hmm. I wasn't a huge fan. Um, and then at dinner, we went to a hibachi restaurant in Disney. And they had plum wine, which I'm a huge fan of. And then they had, like, this cocktail that was, like, made with plum wine and apple juice. And it was really delicious and really pretty looking. Yeah. So. I've always wanted to go to Epcot and just, like, drink around the world. Me too. And I know people do it. And I've never done it. And on my bucket list yeah I want to do it more I only had those three drinks that night because my friends had ran a half marathon that day oh and you can't drink alcohol after a half marathon no we could but we got up so fucking early well they got up at they had to be there they had to leave at 3 a.m and then I went to see them so I had to wake up early enough that like I could get there so at like six which isn't like crazy early but when you're going to walk around Disney for the rest of the day, it's pretty early. And so we were all too tired to, like, really drink around the, drink world. Around the world. But I want to go back one day and, and try it. I'm telling you, didn't we already say it's going to be, like, episode 200? And it then you is. were like, that's in, like, five years. Yeah. <laughs> but I do want to do it. Although it's 
probably very expensive. Probably. I want to say the drinks were, like, almost like New York City drink prices. You know what we should do? This would be a really fun party idea, is to throw, like, an around-the-world cocktail party. Yeah. Where you, like, make cocktails from around the world. Uh Uh-huh. For sure. That would be really cool. I'm adding that to my mental list of I'm gonna future learn, parties. I'm going to learn how to make an avocado margarita for that party. You should do that for Cinco de Mayo. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we will just cheers from across the room. Yeah, because who knows where we'll be in May. <laughs> it could be worse or it could be better. It's just a toss-up, really. <laughs> yeah. I really hope by Cinco de Mayo we are here to talk to you about the amazing trip we took to Orlando for CrimeCon. Yeah. So fingers crossed that CrimeCon doesn't get canceled because Vanessa and I are really looking forward to that. I had such FOMO last year when I wasn't there and now I finally am going and Corona can take it away from me. (laughs) If it does get canceled, I fully will support that and understand it. Yeah. I'll just be a little disappointed, but I guess and we'll then we'll go, go next year. We could maybe. Well, I'm not doing the crime cruise. I'm not getting on a cruise ship anytime. No, for sure, no. Ever. But we'll do the next crime con. Yeah, I think it's in like. Don't they do two a year now? One in October, one in. May? Yeah, they do the crowd solve and stuff too. That Selena Gomez went to. You know, I feel like that just happened yeah. in, like, January. It did. But I think there's something in October as well. I think there's another crowd solve. Oh. I don't know. Crime solve? Crowd solve? Whatever it's called. We're going to go to one of these true crime conventions. Yeah. It's basically for, where we're at. For sure. More importantly, I'm hoping we can go to our friend's wedding, which is also in May. Yes, we also are traveling for a wedding. And, yeah. And, like, I, I obviously want her to have her wedding, but I also want to go to the world of Coke. Yeah. <laughs> The wedding's in Atlanta. We really want to go to the world of Coke. Coca-Cola, to be clear. We're not talking about cocaine. So. I mean, they'll probably talk about cocaine in the museum. No, they won't do that. They won't talk about their roots of Oh, they will. You think so? I do. (laughs) I do. How do you, in the history of the Coke Museum, you have to. That's true. You do have to. So, anyways, I know things are a little crazy in the world, and lots of people are having things canceled and shut down, and... We don't want to minimize that. Stay safe and healthy. <laughs> if you're sick, stay the F home. Yeah. Like I did. I know it's boring, but protect people. Do it for the good of yes. fellow citizens. Yes. And listen to a podcast. Send us podcasts. Like if you have a new podcast that you find during this social distancing, let us know. Yeah. You can email us. Yes. Add a t- at, not add a tap on the wrist. That's our Instagram and Twitter. You can go there, too. Tap on the wrist. At a tap on the wrist for Instagram and Twitter. Yeah, but you can email at email us at tap on the wrist podcast at gmail.com. Let's not do that again. <laughs> okay. Have a great week, guys. Cheers. <laughs>